Hi, friends. Thank you for joining me. This is uh, Pastor Ernie Jung here at Faith Lutheran Church in Moorpark, California. And now we are uh, recontinuing. Uh, we've been on a break there uh, in the summer, but now we are back to Genesis 12 and 13 in our study through the journey through Genesis. Uh, I know we'll probably finish this book in 2023 sometime uh, because there are like 34, 30, yeah, there's 30 plus more chapters and uh, that's going to take a while, but we have to start somewhere and now we are back. So uh, Genesis 12, 17 to Genesis 13, Verse 9. We'll get it done. Let's begin. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. Lord, bless us in your word. And Lord, through all things, as we rest in your word, grant us faith to trust in your will and promises. Lead us and guide us. And grant us your peace, knowing full well that you have fully and firmly laid the plans before us. We thank you for this day, for all that you give. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, today, uh, as you look on, your, uh, on the board here, this is the game plan, my friends. Uh, we are going to go through uh, and we're going to kind of talk about the differences between what Abram went through um, in his time of Egypt, uh, but also um, in his time as he was retracing his steps back uh, uh, to Bethel and I and, and to really see kind of the different way to which he proceeded, right? Very important. Uh, today's major theme is the will of God versus the will of man, right? So the will of God versus the will of man. And here we see uh, kind of the, the, the tension um, for Abraham, he would face this tension, and and I say that because well, why don't we turn on uh, turn in our Bibles to Genesis twelve, and, and there we see as we revisit Genesis twelve, um, Abram and Sarah in Egypt. Remember, um, in Genesis twelve two, if you can look at that while I'm talking, Genesis twelve two, um, as we read that together, uh, what does it say? It says. As God promises Abram, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. This is the promise of God. Genesis 12, 2. Now, what happens? There is a famine, um, and that forces uh, Abram and Sarah to flee to Egypt. Now, while in Egypt, we, we spoke of this last time, um, we see the great fear in Abram's heart. He says in verse 12 of chapter 12, And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with you, with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. There's a lot of things going on here, right? Uh, call, be my sister, even though you are my wife, so that maybe and hopefully uh, my life would be salvaged and I wouldn't be put to death. So Abram is, you know, he received a promise. This is from God. And that you will be a great nation. You, all the blessings will go through you. Yet when he faces the challenge uh, from the famine to now in Egypt, what is he doing? He is taking uh, everything into his own hands. 
He is trusting in the will of man. See, God gives him the promise. But as he lives in this life, there he faces this conflict. And we see you know, what his next steps are. It is to lie about who his wife is. Um, that this is my sister, right? Uh, it is to fend for his life as if this is his own life to fend, right? Like, like God is not there as if he needs to do this himself, as if he needs to build his own shelter. Again, Genesis 12, 2. This is the promise that God had given him. Now, uh, it seemed like this plan was going well, right? We see right there um, in verse 16, um, after... Uh, Sarai uh, uh, went to Pharaoh, uh, the household, Pharaoh's household, dealt well with Abraham, verse 16, and they gave him sheep, oxen, donkeys, servants, uh, and camels, right? The, the, this is a great gift, right? I mean, it seems like all is going well. Like, maybe Abram was saying, yeah, good move, Abram. Uh, check mark for me. Good stuff, right? And actually, it did not turn out that way because in verse 17, as we revisit it here, uh, why don't we read together this, verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Pharaoh was afflicted. Now, the ironic thing is Pharaoh was what? He was unaware. Yet, in light of Genesis 12, 2, um, this, is what, this is how it was not going to be. God's will is done. Remember, Genesis 12, 2 ultimately is what? It is the, the journey or the will of God that is to get us or uh, to have Jesus come into this world to die for our sins. This is the will of God. Now, when the will of God says, when God says this is his will, this is what's going to happen, well, here we should be of no surprise that Pharaoh is afflicted. Though he is unaware, he is delivered the plagues. I mean, this is supernatural. Uh, we, we can uh, go to the future there in Exodus 7 to 11, and there we see, you know, the plagues uh, uh, before, the, uh, before Pharaoh lets the people go. Um, and crossing over the Red Sea, the new life, you know, all that in the book of Exodus. But this is a supernatural event that Pharaoh knows this isn't just some random plague. This is uh, set up by, by God himself. And therefore, it's indicated of that because in verses 18 and 19, as we read it here, uh, so Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that this was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. It's just, it's just like, why, why would you do this to me? Right? Why would you lie and say this is your sister when it's your wife? And with the plagues on his household, you know, Pharaoh wanted nothing to do with Abram or Sarai. This was bad enough. It could get even worse, he would have probably thought, if he took matters into his own hands. He says, no, I want to wash clean of this. Go. Just go. Right? I mean, as I said, you know, as Pharaoh, as an authority of the land, you see that there is indeed... Someone above him, right? 
And that is God. Right? And therefore, he says, take her and go. Nothing. I don't want anything to do with this. Will of God. Abram's will, trying to hide it, trying to conceal. It is exposed. Pharaoh's household is afflicted, plagues. Why would you do that? And there in verse 20, he sent them away with all that they had. Will of God. And here we see um, in your, um, in my, let's see my notes here. Uh, Clearly, uh, Luther would say something uh, of this uh, about about uh, this whole situation here. That in the midst of the famine, as they were landing in Egypt, uh, rather than waiting, they would quickly make this kind of rash decision to concoct this manipulative plan. But Luther says right here, Therefore, Scripture urges that we should wait for the Lord. That is, we should not lose courage or abandon hope but should comfort ourselves with the hope of the coming deliverance. Again, it goes back to this, right? Uh, To wait on the word of God, to trust in his word, to know that he would deliver his promises. Yet, Abram took it upon his own hands, tried to figure out, thought this was the best answer, and there we see the results, and it was all for naught. Take her and go, right? And here we see the Lord again, all that they had. Luther would write, but in this way, God shows that all those who have their hope fixed on his mercy are the objects of his care. Therefore, let us also learn to obey God and to bear patiently whatever he plans for us with a sure faith and with the hope of a glorious deliverance, which we shall surely experience in the end. You know, give us this day our daily bread. God gives us all things. And there we rest and wait and trust, knowing that through his very uh, gifts of his merciful hand, he, he provides for us. Will of God. Will of man says what? No, I have to provide for myself. I have to find my security in this world myself. I have to seek my own hands, my own idols, my own ways uh, to fill those grand houses. No, everything is of God. That's why when we talk about giving, when we talk about offering, right? Uh, when you talk about uh, uh, giving uh, for, uh, 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 to church, a lot of people are burdened by that. Or a lot of people say, oh, you know, the church just wants our money. No, at the end of the day, you know, this is all of God's, right? And I tell you this, uh, especially for myself and as I teach people at church, you know, our old Adam, our sinful nature says, oh, let's just kind of take some for ourselves. Right? Let's just, oh, I, I could, you know, I could live this life. I could have this and I'm going to live beyond my means and I'm just going to have all these things in my life because I can eat, drink and be merry. And, and that's what I'm going to do. And while offering, that can be put lower. That could be a least priority in my life. And my quest is to find happiness. So I'm going to have all these things. I'm going to have all this wealth. I'm going to have all these things uh, set up uh, so that my life will be secure. You know, paradoxically, when we rest upon the idolatry of our own things, how what we don't see in the, uh, in the short-sightedness of our sin 
is how we are captivated and bound by these very things. You know, uh, just the other day, you know, when we were preparing the offering for church, you know, it's always those moments, right? Uh, where you dwell upon and you pray for your offering, of course, but uh, uh, you also pray and give thanks to the Lord for all that he has given you. It's a moment there where you stop in the midst of all the rush and even in the temptations of idolatry and all the things and things and more things and say, thank you, Lord, because you give me all things. I am set free uh, by what you have done for me in Christ Jesus. You deliver everything by your bountiful hand. All that is mine is yours. Thanks be to God for, uh, for delivering me and, 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 and making me your child all by your grace. And you are free. See, that's the thing. You know, uh, when we are bound by all that we have, say, mine, 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 we are on that rat race, and we are holding on to all of our golden calves, and, and there we face uh, the captivity. Though our old Adam, the devil doesn't say it. We are being enslaved by the very things of this world. And that is the most, what's the word? Yes, uh, the most deceptive uh, attack uh, that the devil has on us, right? Anyways, so uh, here we see the result. The Lord delivers Sarah uh, from the hands of Pharaoh. Uh, he rescues them um, and uh, gives them, and, and, and they, they leave with all that they had had, right? See, Abram thought he had to figure out this problem himself, but yet the Lord delivers him and his wife, and there they're back on their feet again. Right? All by the will of God. Will of God versus will of man. This was Abram's tension. You know, a lot of people say uh, about the uh, patriarchs of the Bible, all the faithful of the Bible, oh, what great models of faith they were. And that's right, they were. But they were just like us too. They dealt with their own temptations. They dealt with their sin. Uh, they, they dealt with their own humanism, their own will of man, their fallen will. And, and uh, there they face it too. But at the end of the day, they are models of faith. Why? Because their faith rested upon not what they had done, but what God had promised them, uh, promised each and every one of them. Right? Our faith rests upon Christ. This is what our faith is. It's Jesus. Right? <coughs> Anyways. All right. So, chapter 13, uh, the book of Genesis, as we continue on here. Uh, all right. Why don't we read verses 1 and 2? And here we see it. Chapter 13. So, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot, his nephew, with him into the Negev. Right? Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. All right, so clearly we see uh, from verse 20 to uh, chapter 13, verse 1, as he is described, they were rich, right? They were full. And this is all attributed to God and his provisions. See, the will of man says what? Greed. More, more, and more. Um, it, uh, there's this movie, I always love the imagery, I don't know if you like movies, but um, in this movie called Spirited Away, uh, there is this movie where uh, this little girl is walking through the village, 
and she sees her parents eating um, from a food stand, right? And as they were eating and eating, the daughter says, oh, stop eating, but his parents kept on eating. She looks away, she looks back, and there she finds her parents uh, while they turned into pigs. And it was that imagery that reminds me of the fallen way of man. We become so fattened and so indulgent in our flesh that rather than thinking and praising God and being content for all that we have, we are always searching for more. And that is the will of man. That is our idolatry. That is our covetousness. That is against the ninth and tenth commandment. That is the gift of contentment, right? That we uh, fall to greed uh, more and more and more as we feed into the machine of our flesh, the world, and the devil, right? So very important to have this moment as Abram um, has obtained all these things all by the mercy of God. He was rescued by the mercy of God. He was provided by the mercy of God. And there, as he is retracing back their steps, there uh, he is going by the will of God, uh, rich and full in his name. Right? That, that is all by his mercy. That's the key, the mercy of God. All right, verses 3 and 4, if we could read that together. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. We see that in chapter 12, uh, verse 8, uh, between Bethel and I, to the place where it made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And this is the picture of what? Of worship. Abram dwelling in the name of God. Abram meditating on the promises that God had given him, calling and invoking his name, right? Worshiping God, right? And, and Luther would see this as what? As what the, why we go to church. He says right here in um, his Luther's works, uh, thus it is not stones, the construction, and the gorgeous silver and gold that make a church beautiful and holy. It is, rather, it is the word of God and sound preaching. For where the goodness of God is commended to men, and hearts are encouraged to put their trust in him, and to call upon God in danger, there is truly a holy church. So what is the church? It is the, the proclamation of the word of God and sound preaching. And there we call upon the name of the Lord in great danger. See, Abram, in the word, led by the word, verses 3 to 4. Look at this life he had here. God gives him the promises. Thanks be to God for that. He builds an altar to the Lord, right? There the famine hits. What happens? He goes off on his own way. God is always with him, of course, but there in his sinfulness, there in his nature, he was trying to figure out his own path, his own way, and it kind of like didn't work, right? And now he's retracing his steps back to where? Where he first began. And there he is uh, going back to the still waters and the green pastures of God's word as he calls upon his name, resting, being nurtured, being fed, being sustained and comforted in the, uh, the promises of God. Here, his being is renewed and restored, right? As he enters into the rest. 
through God and his word. So we, we see a really different picture here. Egypt, quick, uh, quick will of man, quick decisions, quick, I need to figure this out myself because I'm, I'm all alone in this and I, I just need to survive, right? When in fact, no, God is with you. He gave you the promise, Genesis 12 too. Um, and, and, you know, when we apply this to our lives, you know, he gives you the promise of Christ. He gives you Jesus. Um, yet we fret. We jump ship as if we have no shelter. We live life as if we are all alone in this. You know, that is the will of fallen man, right? We're all playing the game of survivor, trying to figure it out ourselves when in fact the will of God is done. And that will is salvation, forgiveness, life from Genesis 12 two, as it would lead to Jesus, as it had been fulfilled in the death and resurrection of our Lord. Well, there we too call upon his name, knowing full well that we are forgiven of our sins. This is our being by the very word of Christ. We don't just hear about Jesus. We hear and receive the for you in Jesus, right? It's not just say Jesus in the word or in the sermon. No, this is what Jesus has done for you to preach the gospel, to preach the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation by the merits of Christ and his cross and his empty tomb. There by the Holy Spirit, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Your being is is full, forgiven, redeemed, restored. And there we call upon the name of the Lord in repentance and forgiveness. And there we rest on his promises assuredly that indeed the Lamb of God indeed does take away the sins of the world. Now, with that being said, the word is very important. Study the word. That's why you're here right now, whenever time that is. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's at night. Maybe it's during your coffee break. Whatever, whatever that is, you are in the word. Now, why is it so important? Because there we are always pointing to Christ in the word. The word is always about Jesus And that is where our being is restored. Whatever you're doing right now, whatever that may be, you know, as you're hearing these very words, as we're going through Genesis 12 and 13, uh, as Abraham is calling upon the name of the Lord, there we too call upon him in every need, in every help, in every danger. And there, uh, as we call upon his name, we rest upon what he has given to us. And that is Jesus for the forgiveness of all our sins, right? Um, Anyways, all right, Uh, verses 5 to 7. Now, we have a problem here. What is the problem, right? Uh, Why don't we read this together, verse 5 to 7, right? And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So you don't want to talk about a, a tea kettle that's about to whistle. I mean, this is a picture of the tea kettle that's about to whistle, right? A lot of people in this, uh, whether it's Abram and Lot, too small of a place, 
to have both of us, all the stuff we have, not enough space. And if that wasn't enough, the herdsmen on each side fighting one another, quarreling and having disputes. Uh, I can imagine what they're talking about. And on top of that, the Canaanites and parasites uh, there in the land. Right, and, and they too would have their possessions as well. So this was uh, another moment of challenge for Abram. Again, there was strife, famine facing the great enemy uh, of Egypt. Uh, there in strife, what did he do in Egypt? Well, of course, he manipulated a plan. Retracing back his steps... Here he calls upon the name of the Lord in his being. He rests in the word. And what is he going to do now? Now, as we know, Abram was the uncle of Lot. Haran had died and there Lot was uh, uh, cared for by Abram. And Obviously, when we talk about age, authority, uh, who always gets first priority? It's, it's always the older one, isn't it? And that's always the go-to. Now, in this case, if there was land that was full and there, it could not be held by, by both Abram and Lot and their herdsmen, on top of the Canaanites and Perizzites there, what should Abram have done if it was the will of man? He would have simply said, you know what, Lot? I'm older than you. I'm above you. I have authority, so this is mine, and you go. Of course. That's, it's like the CEO, right? Telling his underlings, um, no, you go do this. It's never the under people that tell the CEO what to do, but rather it's a CEO because he has all the authority. And, And Abram, too, he had the opportunity in the midst of this strife with the tea about the tea kettle about to whistle, herdsmen disputing, uh, no space in sight. But yet, surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, this is what Abram does. Verse 8 and 9, if we could read this all together. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, we are brothers. You, you see the humility of Abram. Trusting in the will of God. We are brothers. He doesn't say, I am above you because I am your uncle. No, he says we are brothers. Level playing field. Equal playing field. You know, there's something about the trust in God and his will. Genesis 12, 2. Genesis 13, 3 and 4. Calling upon the name of the Lord. Trusting in the will of God. You know, when times are challenged, when times are good, oh, you always thank the Lord, right? It's so easy. Uh, yet at the same time, when times are challenging and there's a dilemma, there's strife at hand, ooh, how quickly we revert back to our own human will and wisdom. But yet, rooted in his word, there he went. And here he says in verse 9, Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Isn't that radical? Right? <laughs> it's like saying, uh, if, you know, I'm the youngest brother of my family, right? 
I'm the little one. I'm the youngest. So uh, it's like my older brother is telling me, um, what? It's like, oh, Ernie, uh, you can have the Ferrari or you can have the hand-me-down 89 Ford Explorer. True story. That's what I drove when I was younger, an 89 Ford Explorer. Um, but I drove that in, I think, the year 2000. <laughs> I think 2004. Uh, I think it had 260,000 miles on it. Right? Now, I can imagine if that was a hypothetical if my older brother said, Ernie, you could drive the new Ferrari or you could drive uh, uh, the 89 Explorer, Ford Explorer. And um, I don't think they would ever ask me that question. They would probably take the Ferrari and say, Ernie, you're the youngest, so you take the 89 Explorer, right? And that's just the way it goes. That's the hierarchy. That's the authority. That's the pecking order. And that's just the reality of man, right? Abram, I mean, this is not a Ferrari, right? This is not... An Aiden Explorer. This is land. This is very important, right? This is, uh, uh, oh man, the covetousness, the greed. I mean, all this could have flown out from this moment, right? Uh, Abram looking out for himself, looking out for his own will, uh, you know, going back to his time of Egypt and, and just manipulating and concocting a plan uh, for his own welfare, thinking of himself first. No, he, he does actually the opposite. He says, you know, you know what, Lot, my nephew, my kinsman, my brother, you, you choose. If you go left, I go right. If you go right, I go left. And we see Abram as peacemaker. You know, um, we see that in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. But what is that peace? What is that irene? That is the promises of God. You know, Abram right here, calling upon the name of the Lord in that very worship as he, as he is dwelling upon the promises of God, there is being, he has rest. The will of God is done. He learned that when he took the will of God into his own hands, or the will of, you know, when he took the will into his own hands, he saw how it ended up. There he rests upon the word of God, and there he trusts. And there he, uh, in, his, in his way, would love and serve those around him for their own welfare, right? And that's the thing, friends. You know, uh, I, I know in my previous video that I just did probably uh, 20 minutes ago about the sacrament of the altar, uh, we, we talk about uh, the post-communion collect where we pray, uh, you know, refresh us with this salutary gift as we have fervent love towards you and fervent love towards one another. You know, our being is equipped by the very word of God. We are equipped by the very words of Christ that imparts to us and declares and delivers to us the forgiveness of sins. That by that will, we live and we trust that his will is done. Now, the tension of this whole text is, I know that, pastor, but, you know, I need to take everything into my own hands. I need my answers. I need my instant. I need my way to be done. And that's the tension, right? God's promises, his will versus your will. And that's why in the Lord's Prayer, I encourage you to always pray it, thy will be done. Your will, not my will. Your will, not my will. Because here we see the picture. And at the end of the day, Abram gives him the choice. What a gracious and radical and unexpected moment um, in this time of, uh, of great strife. But again, it always, goes, it always goes back to calling upon the name of the Lord. 
There we rest upon the shelter, the stronghold. Psalm, right? Psalm 27, right? Uh, what does it say right there? Psalm 27, off the top of my head. I could paraphrase it for you, but that wouldn't be good. So I'll read it for you right here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27.1. Probably a verse that I read to those that are afflicted all the time. The Lord is my stronghold. Whom shall I fear? He is my light and my salvation. For whom shall I be afraid? The will of God. There he goes. Trusting in his will. Genesis 12.2. Resting upon his very promises. The time of Egypt. Now as he retraces his steps back to the beginning. There we see the two different conflicts. The two different challenges. And there we also see the two different ways to which Abram would proceed. And what is always the major difference? It is the word. Calling upon the name of the Lord. That's always the difference. It is the Lord and his work, his will, through his word. And there Abram uh, would proceed. All right. Good stuff today. Uh, thank you for joining me. And uh, God's blessings to you this day. And may this, go wor- may this uh, word go well with you. Why don't we close? with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. Lord, we know your will is done. Grant us faith to trust in your will, knowing that in Christ Jesus, you have given to us through his death and resurrection, Lord, the gift of life, forgiveness, and salvation. Lord, bless us this day. Grant us your wisdom and strength and lead us always under the stronghold of your eternal word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. This is Pastor Jung here at Faith Lutheran Church in Moorpark, California. And have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining me. And I hope this word went well with you. If you missed a part, watch it again. That's the joy of YouTube. It's always rewindable. All right. All right, friends. Next time. Until next time, have a wonderful day. God bless you. Remember, the will is done. It's Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Adios. Goodbye.